episode. Welcome to Web Zero. I'm Vigil Ritson, and I'm here with Timlik Miptev, my my friend, my co-host, my wine investor, uh, my my best autist. And today we're going to do a little bit of a gut check about how we're feeling about Urbit and operating systems in the crypto space and what that enables. And we're going to have a big moment for, for Web Zero and all of Podkind as we have our first guest, Liam Hastic Dibtex, who's a, a Tlon dev, and we're uh, we're going to bring him on later in the episode. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. So, and this is one thing just for our you know for our listeners that from the start um, you know to go a little bit meta, I didn't want this to be kind of purely an interview podcast uh, because I think that sometimes uh, you know I like it better when the podcast hosts have stronger theses and views of the world and aren't just like you know sort of blank mirrors. Um, but I think that there's going to be this nice dovetailing today of this gut check about Urbit and then the stuff that Hastuk uh, can tell us about it. So I think, Jesse, we've talked now a lot about different places that the crypto space is in, what needs to happen, etc. And I know you've maybe moved to a place of at least slightly less uh, sort of depressed cynicism. So if we're talking about, you know, the application side of crypto, what would you like to see happen in the next, like, you know, three, five, six years where you would feel like, okay, this is, you know, this is going well? Yeah, well, first, I'd like to clarify that I'm only less depressed and cynical with respect to crypto. And in my personal life, uh, rest assured, it's still uh, still falling apart. But for blockchain and decentralized technology, I think what I'm looking for, as I've explained in the past, is something that really affects us on the day-to-day, something that feels tangible and real to people more than these financial applications, which can feel pretty abstract, even to those using it, and especially to people outside of the crypto space. I'm looking for things that actually make living life easier, smoother, Frictionless, I think, is is something I've I've said before, and I think that really is a possibility with blockchain technology, and I have yet to see that happen. Yeah, and I think you wrote it. It hasn't been released yet, but I was you know editing the you know pre-release. But you wrote an essay recently about you know what you want technology to do for you, and it seemed very much around like it was in this nice space between not exactly luddite, but not like tech worshiping, where it was all about like. You have other stuff you want to do in the world, and you want tech to like make the boring parts of life not suck. Is that like a kind of fair synopsis, or what would you what would you add to that? Exactly. I mean, I think you actually said this well before when you've talked about have computers do computer stuff and have people do people stuff. And I want to exist in a space where my time is maximized for the way I want to live it. And if you choose to spend that time online, that's great, as long as it's purposeful. I want to not get trapped in these these processes that are opaque and, and difficult, whether that's something like sending a payment or getting a document verified and sent to the right place, or whether it's just trying to make use of a, of a simple service that people have inserted middlemen in to collect your money. And I think these are all things that blockchain could potentially solve and, and free up space for living how you want. For me, that's actually less online than more. So I, I think while some people are still looking for blockchain to have this next, 
I don't know, revolutionary product, something really transformative, I think that a more meaningful change could could happen in the margins. Yeah, so I want to push that a little bit more because I think that something that's talked about as a possible blockchain thing that we haven't explored as much is everything related to like sort of new institutions or reorganizing institutions. And I think for people who haven't maybe lived abroad as much or done a lot of bureaucratic procedures related to like businesses, visas, taxes, banking, whatever, um, I think it can be harder to like, you know, maybe to understand the appeal of it. But there's a lot of for me, one of the biggest things in blockchain is the idea of sort of moving societies, at least the infrastructure of them, more online to get rid of stupid bureaucracy. Um, and even at the level of like... I mean, finance, is this overlapping with the Balagian network state? <laughs> um, I want to be... I have my own issues with that thesis, but I think in terms of how people interpret it generally as a way to think, like start thinking about what does it mean to like put these structures uh, into a digital format, absolutely 100%. I would just disagree with him on some of the end states and intermediate steps, but as like sort of a broad concept, I think he's tapped into something that people are really, really interested in. And what do you think that is? I don't know, that's like, it's more than just like, let's be online. No, it's very much more. And I think a lot of it could involve not being online. And I think what I would be, it's just this like removal of friction at all parts of life. So work from home removes like, you know, the friction of com like commutes, getting paid like in crypto, whether it's stables or like, you know, other crypto removes a lot of the annoying friction of things related to banking or even having to like um, document your money in certain ways. Um, I think that like it gets really exciting once you get into things like global collaboration, like being able to hang out with people from different countries physically who might be working on different projects, but you all feel like some, you know, some kind of physical community um, or being part of such a community while being um, yourself, like digit, like physically removed. So I think I do a lot of really heavy interaction with people right now who all are together physically, either in the U S or various countries around it. Um, but I'm, you know, not particularly interested in doing that physically. And you're also, I think somewhat, physically isolated. So I think just like removing all the friction and getting down to core experiences <laughs> is really, is incredibly appealing. Do you think that your, your brother is kind of forming his own little uh, network state out in El Salvador when he's getting all these uh, devs and other people to come work with him down there? I mean, not only is he, uh, so we'll have Hastuk on. He's one of the people who participates in that, although he has his own thing going. I think uh, if he, I won't have him disclose his location, but he's like in, you know, in a similar region, but not exactly there now. Um, I'm doxing so, every one of our guests. It's hardcore. Like, and actually, you know what? I think the whole obsession with doxing or getting doxed or whatever is actually a product of this like late industrial stage. And if we can move to a more you know, let's call it network state thing. I think um, the, the, the like the consequences of that go down a lot in a way that's really productive. Um, I, we can do a politics episode sometime later, but I'm increasingly interested in like making a lot of the you know late 20th, early 21st century questions less relevant by just you know drastically improving the infrastructure of society. Uh, I guess I didn't answer the question about my brother's thing. <laughs> Um, he's, no. he's very much, he's very much doing that. He has really strong theses on it. We'll probably have him on here at some point and people will be surprised at how much he sounds like me. 
um, to the point that we'll have to do some kind of audio marker for when I'm talking and when he's not. Um, but yeah, he, he's very much like putting that into practice. And what, what makes you confident that uh, your thesis about how we start moving towards, I guess not necessarily network states, but this more unified online system, online way of living is, is possible, even as we continue to encounter so many technological difficulties in the building of these systems? Yeah, let me do a thing that annoys people and answer your question with a story. So I was so first of all, I have to name check uh, Sarpen Laplux's uh, Ziffiness with an X on Twitter, who when I was telling my story the other day about having to flee Kiev when the war started was the person who woke me up at 5 a.m. saying to get out. And he was subsequently like trapped there for like a week in the metro because he did not make it out. Um, but the reason I'm bringing that up is that at the time, right before the Battle of Kiev finished, when it was you know, surrounded by Russians and people were wondering what was going to happen, uh, there was a military analyst, I think it was Michael Kaufman, who, who started to say, like, you know, I do this input-output analysis where if I'm analyzing you know, that a certain input exists, I have to see that the output's there. So if I think that you know, the Russian army's uh, supply chain is like, you know, <clears throat> dwindling and they're having issues there, um, and that they're suffering severe attrition, I need to see something, you know, negative happen for them within the next two weeks. Otherwise, something's wrong with my inputs. And then soon after that, about a week later, famously, uh, you know, the Russian uh, northern front completely collapsed. And they basically, you know, ran to the border in all directions. So when I'm asking, like, what makes me confident, I have this thing where I'm saying that, you know, the output that I expect to see, like, or the input is that, operating systems matter and that if you get the operating system level right you start to produce interesting things for crypto and so the output that i need to start seeing from those inputs are some things that actually i you know i have started to see which is i need to see for one that people in crypto start to feel the lack of os as a pain point and i'm seeing more and more people talking about a lack of tooling needing middleware infrastructure um I guess like I would also say saying we don't have enough applications as like a really good indicator that a, a technical need is not being met. So that's from an urban perspective in my thesis, that's extremely positive. Other thing would be I would need to start to see apps spontaneously start to emerge. And we are starting to see that now on the urban side. I think um, Holium Group, everyone loves what they're doing in terms of operating system. But more and more, there's just random cool applications uh, starting to emerge that I didn't even suspect existed. And I'll probably want to do a catalog or roundup at some point. Um, and then the other thing is uh, getting inbound dev interest. Uh, we're starting to see when people find it from the developer side, they get very interested in it, even if they're not let's say, technically ideological. Uh, you know, I think early in Urbit's life, you would have had a lot of technically ideological people. So you would tend to have people who are from very far extremes of maybe the political left and right even because they're these people who are sort of extremely autistic and need computing to be a certain way. And that filters into, you know, the rest of the, like, their life. They're like very, like, literally it was like, you know, neo-reactionaries and hardcore communists were the people who were like, you know, there. And I think now we're getting more people who are just like, they want that operating system type of th like type of experience, and when they start to see that coming, like you know, being there, um, it's very it's very appealing. And so I've even just in the last day been having conversations with both people inbound to me and inbound to some of my you know mutuals on Urbit and Twitter, 
um, having this happen. So I'm just very confident because based on, you know, my inputs and my, you know, theories, I'm starting to see a lot of stuff happen that matches up with that in a way that, you know, leads me to hope for like a complete collapse of the anti or of the non-urbit operating system northern front assault. <laughs> well, I, I think that's really interesting because sort of that really brings us back to some of the topics we were hitting earlier, whether you are interested in crypto and decentralized technology because of these large revolutionary ideas like a network state or smaller day-to-day improvements that appeal to me for, for making life just better for the average person, these things are converging in a space like Urbit, which not only has you know exciting technological and perhaps even ideological um, aspects on its own, but is one we see vital step towards creating a space that enables the potential of this new technology to fully be realized. Yeah. And so on that note, like if we're going to bring Liam on now um, and talk to him about this as someone who's, you know, newer to sort of, you know, recent crypto and then also especially the urban space, uh, what are you hoping to like get out of it? What's what are sort of some things that are, you know, maybe unknown to you that you want to try to uncover here? I guess I'm really interested from someone who is, you know, inside the house to say what excites him, what gets him going and why he is bullish on Urbit, because I think there's something really special about being in the weeds, knowing how it works, that always reveals something different than a person who's looking from the outside. And I think I'm generally interested always in stories of obsession. And so many people who found Urbit have just made it their life. You know, they're the the gold panning weirdos who who stake a claim somewhere in the mountains and spend the rest of their life searching for the the vein in the rock and i i want to know what what gets you there and what makes someone so so confident and willing to to spend their life devoted to something like that okay that'll give something pretty cool to go and i guess is this a good time for us to talk about like the mirror theory about of your personality uh is that relevant here or do you think that we should cut that sure (laughs) go ahead this is from a mutual acquaintance that people want to know. Yeah, and his his theory was that well, I was actually just impressed at your answer there, which was which was unscripted. And you know, one of our mutual friends' theories about uh, Mitchell Ritson is that he um, you know is a very I don't agree with this theory to be clear. I think it's only like twenty percent true, um, but that he's like you know a, a not very interesting person, and for that reason is very good at sort of reflecting the light of those around him and capturing that as a writer. Um, I'm saying it in a non complimentary way just to you know get clicks, but um, <laughs> well, I think is, there's is a kernel that, of truth. Not does that not make me interesting in its own right? That talent as as a as a mirror, a, a man who contains nothing and everything simultaneously. Abed, stop going meta. <laughs> All right. So we are excited to welcome on our first guest to the Web Zero pod, the inimitable Hastic Dibtex, also known as Liam. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? No, yeah, too bad. Not too bad. So it's, uh, it's a nice sunny day here. It's not, and we're not affected by the heat wave. So I'm sure it's good. Can you reveal your location? 
yeah, I'm in Mexico City. How's your Spanish? Uh, yeah, uh, I want to say good, but it's dog shit. Um, how yeah, how do uh, how do Mexicans react to an Australian accent in Spanish? I think they like think I'm like slightly retarded. To be quite honest, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, when I when I'm like when I'm quite drunk and my accent is really exaggerated, like Americans have trouble fucking understanding it. So like. The mm-hmm. Mexicans just, they're like, oh, he's like, you know, like special ed. Like, I need to, like, uh, please be patient. I have autism heart. Just to, like, get around <laughs> a little bit easier in Mexico. They're very forgiving of this, I think. Well, I think that actually probably works to your advantage, right? You, they, they treat you a little bit nicer because they, they think you're retarded. And, and maybe that gives you, as a, as a Machiavellian puppeteer, a, a chance to spin your web a little bit better. Uh uh, no, I mean, like, there's only so much you can do with, like, you know, thinking you're, like, they're actually retarded. Like, you know, lovable idiot is one thing, but, like, actually retarded is, like, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Speaking of uh, actually retarded, uh, let me ask you, uh, what is Urbit? Oh, no. Because uh, oh, I'm actually no. retarded. Um, Urbit is just, like, computers, but new. Um, it's, like... Urban is like, you know, it's like you have a computer, it's actually yours, and you can actually compute with other people with that computer, which is like not something you can do with like today's model of like computing. Is, is my laptop not actually mine? I paid for it. Well, I mean, it is yours, but it's like, it's not a computer in any reasonable sense because like, it's just a dumb client for like other you know, like you just connect to like you know what other web two like servers. It's just like a thin client for like you know stupid browser like interfaces that like talk directly to a mainframe. Like we never left like nineteen like Terry Davis is a good point about this. Like we ne- we still have never left the like nineteen seventies mainframe era. When you say dumb client and stupid browser, do you think these things are dumber and stupider than the Mexicans think you are? It's a tough angle of questioning. Um, <laughs> But mm, I don't know. It depends on like you know the time of day and how many alcoholic beverages I've had, probably. But it's close. Maybe even a tie. I I really like this to just go aggressively on like our computers aren't computers and they're dumb because I mean as you know I've been writing about this a lot on Twitter that like we're kind of stuck with these like single player OSs that are like you know the only way we get multiplayer OSs as you said is by like sort of running crappy versions of them in the cloud and then our dumb clients look hook into them and so I guess like for you, what is, is there an example of something in Urbit computing right now that you're able to do as a result of, you know, let's call it multiplayer computing or having your computer being able to talk to others that, you know, you're like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's actually pretty sweet. I think, like, the big, like, use case for it as it stands, as a current, like, Urbit stack is just, like, the, you know, like, your identity carries across, like, all your groups and, like, it, there's, like, everything can hook into, like, everything else. Like, it, all your data is in, like, one place. Like, the multiplayer aspect from the, like, person-to-person angle is not, like, very well fleshed out yet, but the, like, apps talking to other apps, right? And, like, the existence of things like, you know, Zapier and, like, these, like, ser- integration fucking services, like, that's, a, like, a billion-dollar industry. And it's just, like, totally obsoleted by other because, like, oh, your apps can just, like, these different, like, data silos can just, like, talk to each other. It's, like, actually networked. 
Yeah, and if we're trying to make this like legible to crypto people, there's so many projects right now that are like, you know, oh, let's like, you know, do identity and that'll fix everything in social. And of course, I've written about why I think this is like dumb. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's kind of cool that like, you know, yeah. we're, we kind of already have this for free and now we get to start on phase two. Yeah, like Pals is a great example of this. Like I was thinking like I uh, put some money into a, like a Milady Dell the other day and I was using Prism. Um, and uh, it, lo- like, it like kind of struck me that like, oh, like, there's a field in the prism thing for like, you know, linked to a Google doc that has like, you know, all the other like information about the DAO and things like that. And it's like, why are you just like, like linking externally to like web two services? Like it, it's just, it's as centralized and as bullshit as everything else. It's infuriating. Can you give like three pieces of context there? Like um, that I'm aware of, but listeners might not be, which is what is pals? What is prism? Uh, and you can also say, what is my lady? Oh God, not that. What is my lady question? <laughs> I played the fifth on that one. <laughs> All right, what is Pals and what is Prism? So Pals is like actually like a great like example of what like the kinds of things that you can do. It's like it's a dead simple like friends list app. You add people, they add you back. It's just like it's dumb, uh, and you can get like that's all Pals allows you to do. So you just add friends, remove friends. It's that's it. But what's great about this is that there's a like an, a whole other suite and ecosystem of apps that are built. On pals. So, for instance, like I wrote uh, Zone, which is a world clock app that, like, it'll take uh, like your uh, time zone and it'll tell you where all like all your other friends' time zones are, and like that just hooks in to the friends list of pals and it, like automatically. And there's other apps. And I think that's interesting because when you're talking about identity here, you're really talking about from a programming and networking perspective and not what I think a lot of people confuse identity to mean when they're talking crypto, but also about Urbit when there's a lot of discussion of reputation and uh, like reputation longevity and persistence. And that's important, but really we're talking about something more fundamental to the computing stack here, right? Yeah, I, like, I think the, you know, the one-to-one nature of an urban is your identity. And like, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Like there are a lot of valid reasons for like OPSEC and things like that, that you would want to run like several, like just a couple of different planets. But like what's important is like those like identities they have longevity and you have as many of them as you like and like it carries on and you don't necessarily have to like, you know, they're siloed in a, like, in a way that you want them to be. One thing that you like struck me when you were talking about pals right there and the terms you were using is that would be immediately legible to a crypto person as what they call composability, like especially on-chain composability for DeFi and NFT shit. But you're talking about it for everything across your computer. And I think this is this like just crazy urbit alpha that people in crypto aren't aware yet, which is that it just takes, you know, the composability they know and love to a new level. I feel like Ryan shot Adams here in terms of how I'm like trying to like pander the concepts. But like you get what I mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like what makes this like really interesting is that like the composability like doesn't come at any cost to like UI. And so, like, this is a classic sort of paradigm of, like, you know, you can, like, compose things in, like, the old Web2 world, but, like, you know, it's going to be, you know, some horrific, like, like, tangle of code and mess that, like, is going to, like, inevitably frustrate the user because convoluted code, you still, like, leads to a poor UX. And 
by having the like composability of it be like dead simple, this like bubbles up the stack and becomes like, it just works, right? Like the composability just works, which is like nothing else, like no other app development platform like in the world has that. And is this, you know, the, the simpleness of this dev experience or composability, is this the type of thing that first got you into Urbit? You started playing around with it and thought, oh, actually, I can build stuff the way I want. Or was there some other aspect that got you obsessed in the first place? Um, I mean, like, I was, I've always liked sort of like pay-to-pay systems and life. It's been like, you know, an interest of mine for quite some time. And like, I, don't know, I, I remember seeing Urbit, um, and I was like, oh, like, they actually seem to be like doing this the right way and like getting interested in it through that. But then like, I mean, like I tried Hoon and I fucking fell in love with it. Like it's unreasonably like there are obvious like, you know, there are shortcomings in the like, current like programming model in user space. But like even then, even with those like shortcomings, it's like far and away like the most fun I've had programming in like the like eight years I've been programming. Like even when I was, you know, just like fucking around doing games as like a 14 year old, like who is more fun than that? How, how durable would you say like that that fun has been? Like when, like how long have you been programming in Hoon and does it feel more or less to the same amount of fun as when you were like, you know, a year into it? Uh, so I've been programming in Hoon for like, mm, yeah, about like two years now. And like, it doesn't actually like fall off. It actually kind of intensified because like you just get better with it. You like kind of can feel it out more. And like, it's just so like, once you like have acquired proficiency, it's just like, it's so easy to lay down code that like, you know, the thought of doing something in like fucking rails and having to mangle an ORM just like makes me want to fucking shoot myself. Like, like this is the way it should be. It's like, oh, I just haven't like I just have variables. They're in the state. Like it just works, and it, like you can just like lay it out, and it, it just like flows sort of like directly from the brain, and like in a way that's not, nothing else really does. So, do you think that uh, developing on Urbit is already like a best in class? experience or do you think that what you've said before or is that a bit hyperbolic and and what is what is still limited about it right now so uh, i'll say like this much the the enjoyment angle of like and you know the minimization of like bullshit frustration like you know having to set up environments and all this like other like gay shit that is like terrific right that's like best in class like best in class for like speed in terms of like I wrote Zone, the world clock app, in like four hours. And I had it from the time, like it's four hours from the time I started it to the time I had other people installing it. Like you can't do that anywhere else, anywhere else in computing. But like from the, like the dev experience in terms of like, especially for UIs, there's a lot of like bullshit code you need to write. Um, And like, I mean, I personally would take the, like, you know, take the, I would rather take the, like, home trade-off than, like, you know, any other. So, it's, but, like, there are a lot, uh, like, a lot of places that could be improved. I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say it's, like, best-in-class DevX, but, and other people might disagree. Yeah, I think one thing we might get into a little bit later is just what you expect to improve might be the way to, like, 
talk about that. But I think one thing we wanted to just kind of backtrack and get from you first was, like, what are you actually working on right now? And there's a bit of a follow-up to that. Yeah. So I'm currently working on uh, a renovation of groups, so, which is the you know, Discord, Slack, knockoffs that uh, you know and love if you've used it for any length of time. Um, and, yeah, I've been, like, really hammering it down. I'm, like, excited about the, like, new architecture and, like, the amount of, like, features and things like that that we'll be able to, like, ship at, like, a relatively fast pace. It's, it's, I'm very excited to demo it. It's going to be great. And in terms of the project as a whole, um, like, if we killed you live on air, just, like, you know, took you out, um, like, how load-bearing are you? How much would that set the project back? How much do you matter? Don't make me get all existential. Um, I mean, realistically... Like, eh, probably not that much. <laughs> Good. We, we, we wanted to be able to take you out without worrying about it. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I, I can see the, like, uh, the cops help people outside at the front of my door. So, like, you know, I've, I've accepted my fate. Like, you know, it's been fun, but, like, once that's it for me, like, once I'm done this podcast. The Mexican consulate actually contacted us and uh, asked us to do them a favor and distract you as they sent their people in. Every time. Every goddamn time. Jesse, before I let you, you know, give uh, the next question you had here, but one thing I wanted to note as I was doing that I hadn't realized before is I think that, like, you know, Australian people get just a complete free pass on, you know, especially on words like fuck. Um, it seems like they just, like, you just don't notice it. It just sort of flows in, whereas if I'm saying it, it's more of, like, a jarring moment and i'm being even 2022 mildly transgressive but it just feels like it just goes into speech do you have the same perception jesse or does it you you feel it differently uh definitely i actually um i was thinking that liam's in a seems like an especially australian name because uh one of the australians i spent the most time with uh when i was in chile was also a liam and he he dropped little little fucks and cunts left and right and it was it was like he was you know breathing air breathing the water as a little fish yeah, it, it's just, it's something that, like, like uh, that I've, like, tried and failed to turn down, and it, it, just, it just fucking happens. Like, it, it just, it flows, sort of, I don't know. You're a vulgar people, you know, don't resist yes. your nature. I mean, yes, it's like, it, it's like, you know, you took Florida man, and then you put it in an entire country. You have your whole big own island. To, right. to mess around in, to, to give as many fucks and cunts as you please, and there's no one there to stop you. Exactly, right? And it, it amazes me sometimes. Like, the, the Australian passport actually, like, you know, has a bunch of, like, you know, good visa exemptions and things like this, because what I'm saying when I hand that, like, passport to a customs official, I am descended from criminals. That is what that passport says. Mm-hmm. And yet, it, accepted all over the world. You well, have? you kind of have the same glasses as that kid who went viral years ago for not apologizing for the sick party he threw in his parents' house. Yeah, I had not heard the Australia as Florida man comparison like before. And I've, of course, everyone knows the criminals one, but I actually like the Florida man like much better in terms of like, you know, rather than an island of criminals, just an island of Florida men doing Florida things in the biggest Florida in the world. Yeah, I mean, like, it's absurd. Like, we have a, in the like, you know, local politics. There is a politician who is basically a single-issue politician on, like, crocodile deaths, right? It's, like, it's hilarious. There are like, YouTube videos you find. Like, he will take any... Like, it was one point, 
he takes like a question about like gay marriage and like, I don't care. Let a thousand blossoms bloom. But I won't be spending any time on it because every two weeks a man is eaten to death by a crocodile in the Northern Territory. <laughs> well, you know, I'm from Montana. So, you know, uh, a lot of our politicians are concerned with um, grizzlies and moose and elk. So I understand that if you live in a place where the animals are coming to attack you, you got to fight back. Yeah, I mean, like, it seems like a very, you know, it's, a, it's an easy political move to make. It's like, oh, we are against the things that kill you. Like, how It seems you like a like, lot of politicians are not. I, <laughs> I mean, that's politics for you. So, okay, so let's get, like, back to development somehow. Um, like, in the next few years, uh, what are the biggest kind of unlocks uh, that are going to happen and sort of like pain points that might be removed from the perspective of, de- of like a developer? Okay, so I'm at like a laundry list of this shit. So one of the big ones uh, is going to be subscriptions and like versioning across the network. So this is a two-part. I'll like address the subscription stuff first. So right now, subscriptions are a huge, like not a huge pain, but like they're annoying and like they're quite boilerplate and they're not as ergonomic as they, like, they could be. Because basically a connection uh, between two ships can be interrupted at any time. And then so you have to renegotiate where you left off in the like, you know, stream of chat messages or whatever. You've got to negotiate that and then like, you know, send all the chat messages since that time. And like, you've got to duplicate this behavior across every app. And like, it, it makes me goddamn cry because I'm just like, it's just the same logic being written over and over and over again. Um, and so that, like, one of the new upgrades to the kernel space will be solid state subscriptions, which, hey, you just publish, you just like publish this thing and it just, it, it's all handled for you. You don't need to like renegotiate when the connection gets dropped, the connection's permanent, it just occurs. Um, so there's that. And then there's versioning. So, Right now, uh, Groups has you know two libraries that underpin like most of the networking. Uh, that are like a thousand, two thousand lines each. Um, that handle versioning. So it's like, what happens when you know Tim is on version A, but I'm on version B, and we're trying to talk to each other? Like you've got to be able to convert to negotiate some like base level of functionality, and all this kind of stuff. And so. That is also going to be, like, leave it into the subscription stuff. And so you won't have to, like, think about that. It'll just be, like, it'll just work, basically. Um, so that's, like, that is going to be huge. Like, I, I, it's indescribable to, like, real, like, it's hard to put into words. Like, looking at the current Groups 2 code base, I think about 40% of our code is, like, networking shit that would be easily removed with, like, better subscriptions, which is being worked on. Um, and so that's like, that's half our, almost half our code base just gone by like better kind of support. So I have like an observation and a question there. And the observation is that I've also coded, you know, not nearly as much as you, but somewhat substantially in Hoon. And I think that something people initially get really excited about when they start programming in Hoon is like that exact aspect of P2P, like, oh, I can, you know, use subscriptions. I can like just say, okay, tell me when any message comes to me from this other urban, like from this other user, and I'll process it how I want. And they think that 
you know, you can just put that into your logic and it'll just, you know, it'll just work. So, you know, if I ever get any update from them that I'm listening for in this app, it'll like just work. Uh, in practice though, as you were saying, it's basically fake right now. Um, and that was sort of shocking to me yeah, when I learned it. Yeah, it's completely fake, and, like, it actually sucked when I was running this um, as sort of the technical guy at the foundation to onboard new devs and have them get really excited about that in their flow because it's one of the most obviously cool features um, because it's so simple, and then just have it, you know, not work. So that's my observation. I think it's, like, yeah. the value prop is really clear. My question is, uh, how soon is that coming, yeah. uh, the fixed subscriptions? Uh, kernel Specs will shout, on me, shout at me if, they, like, if I give you hard timelines. But probably sometime next year. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's not as much about hard timelines, but just sort of roughly when that's coming. And yeah, so for everyone, everyone listening, if you get angry, yeah, I would, yeah it's being worked on. Yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you say it's more in the exploratory phase or the like? This is going to happen, and we're just productionizing it phase. Uh, it's like still like in the exploratory phase because you know if we rework the agent model, then there are some like other bits that I haven't quite touched on that you know, we potentially want to do uh, simultaneously with uh, like that upgrade to goal. So this all sounds really exciting, but for someone who's non-technical like me, I'm, you know, always curious about the, the end, what, what something built on a system like this looks like. So you're discussing all these changes and I'm wondering, do you have any examples of, the type of application or service that you believe can only be built on Urbit or Urbit will really unlock a particular version of, of something that will be tangible from a, from a user end? Yeah. I, I, I hate to use this example because, you know, we're supposed to be chilling with here, but, like, uh, the, like, a lightning wallet, I think, is a really good example of something that, like, really, the UX is only really solvable with Urban, like if you're not, if you still want to keep the decentralized, like trustless properties of Lightning, um, the only real UX friendly way to do this is to like run a Lightning node on your Urban and to like, you know, do Lightning over Urban. And like, uh, because it, like, it solves like all of the UX issues that you have with Lightning. I don't have to like open my phone every 24 hours. So like, you know, so it can sync the blockchain state or whatever. Like that's a like a really interesting example, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, with the new like uh, subscription stuff, the subscriptions are also more performant. It's worth noting. So like this opens the door to like more high volume uh, kind of applications, like say Twitter, um, and yeah, and sort of like higher volume, like removing the like scaling bottleneck. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I should note is that on here, even though we're both heavily involved in Ukbar, it's actually a more general, like, sort of crypto and, like, you know, rebuilding computing from the ground up podcast uh, in a very serious way using primitives we've discovered. And so I actually don't take issue with the Lightning example at all. Like, I was actually the person who, you know, researched and wrote the Lightning proposal uh, for Urban. And one of my biggest yeah. takes on uh, Bitcoin in general is that, I think they're a little bit NGMI in terms of, you know, development potential. But if they were to get religion on, you know, implementing their layer two constructions using Urbit, I think that's their like their only path to success. And actually some of my frustration with them is that that community is just so like weirdly Luddite and 
not into what, you know, projects like Nestle can do, that they're going to, you know, keep, like, be- like, beating their heads against the UX of Lightning. But, you know, yeah, I think, um, you know, Urbit has, I-, I think stuff related to arbitrary management of crypto assets is very quickly becoming realized as, you know, Urbit's, crypt- like, killer app. And so I'm very happy to talk about that in, in Ukbar context or in ETH context or a Bitcoin context. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's in it's really in any like context, right? Because like one of the things about uh, like blockchains is that like they don't really do well with things like you know limit orders, right? And so like you can do this like really easily on your other, just like you know set it to pull the blockchain, and then once it you know reaches a certain price, like buy or sell. That's really easy to do, and it's like it has keys. It's all automated. Like the UX of crypto, like is only really possible. To be unlocked with Urbit, like it, it's non-negotiable. I have a question that's you know somewhat related. You know, you're really bullish on Urbit about like the the dev experience and eventually the user experience once there's been some upgrades. But what makes you bullish about Urbit being adopted? Because I think one does not simply equal the other. And right now, Urbit has a reputation for difficult onboarding and for it being difficult for people who are not acquainted with the system to get on and start using it? So I think a lot of the onboarding issues right now at least uh, would be solved and like will be solved by better hosting. Like we just, we shouldn't be asking like, you know, the unwashed masses to like, you know, download this electron thing and then like set up fucking tail scale. Like, no, they just like, they want to be able to click a button and like, you know, like log on. That's how it should work for them. And so, like, improving hosting, I think, is, like, you know, a big part of, like, reducing the barrier to entry for the normies. But, like, in terms of their interest in it, like, I think if you're specific about, like, you know, what the value prop of Urban is, and you, like, tailor it to the normie audience, like, it's really not, you'd be surprised, it's not hard to, like, you know, to pull them on this. Like, uh a good friend of mine who's like a plumber owns like two stars that like I sold them because he likes like, dude, like I need, I need a slick. I need some stars. Like this is fucking great. Like it's very easy to like, you know, talk to normies about this. If you like, you know, if you phrase it correctly um, and you're like, you know, you tell the audience. Well, how would you phrase it correctly then? I mean, it, it, it depends on the normies. There's like, it's not, we have like, there's an entire taxonomy of normies. Not all normies are created the same. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, I, for like a lot of, a lot of Zoomers at least, I like, you know, usually working on like privacy angle, like, uh, you know, that, that like really gets them because like, you know, the Zoomers in the general are paranoid fucking nutcases. So like, you know, they appreciate that, like, you know, the censorship resistance of, like, uh, it's not as easy to, like, you know, perform dragnet surveillance on orbits and so on and so forth. I mean, I think you actually make a really good point here in that, you know, hashtag not all normies, right? That people want different things out of a system that is as broad as urban. And I think a lot of people in the crypto space make the mistake of telling the normies what they should want and what they should think and then being upset when they aren't excited by the things they tell them to be excited for. And I think that one thing that is so amazing about Urbit is it has something to offer for 
you know, almost every type of person, whether you're interested in a, you know, better user experience or privacy or owning your own data or being able to use blockchain in a certain way, there, there's all kinds of different aspects to what a fully realized urbit system looks like. And you, it's not as simple as just dictating that to people. You want this now and we have it. It's, hey, this, this space is really flexible. Come, come use it as you want. Right, yeah, and like you can, it, like Urbit is a blank canvas. It's it's there, like it just it sits there, like ready to be like painted upon. But like you've got to paint like the right things for like you know the audience that you're looking at. Like I know, like you know, like fantastical like AMM like crypto shit is exciting to like a certain subset of autists, but like that doesn't get your grandma on, on Urbit. Some grandmas. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't particularly have this grammar, but yeah. I, see, I, I see your point. All right, Liam, uh, we were wondering, you know, uh, to test your, your devotion to Urbit, your relationship, we were sort of thinking about a scenario. If you woke up tomorrow and, and the Urbit code base was completely lost, what would you do? Would you would you completely try to rebuild it from memory, make something new that replicates some of Urbit but offers other improvements as you see them and if you were embarking on this huge project what would you say to convince people that it's important I mean honestly I, I feel like I would you know recreate as much of it as I could from memory because like a lot of the decisions have been made like are like deeply above my pay grade like I'm, I'm just like a code monkey you like you feed me amphetamines and then I like shit out code like that's <laughs> that's what I do like a lot of the like technical like architectural stuff is like way above my pay grade. So like, I would just yeah like try and recreate it essentially from memory. And I think like in terms of like getting people like in on this, like I think like this is kind of a, this is like, there's a line of like angle like you want to like basically kind of basilisk people into like working on it right like this is the most important thing right now and like ooh, if i don't be done it i'll be like you know and so like you know there's an argument to be made that like you know the control of like your computing is like a kind of like a great filter in like the fermi paradox sort of sense right mm. like either yeah. you like you learn to control your computing and have it actually serve you or like the like inevitable like you know hyper connectivity of the like current internet uh, will like you know essentially like ruin your civilization like the way internet interfaces with I'm going to theory self for a bit here forgive me the way internet like the internet and like technology interfaces with like techno capital has a transcendental structure that like always uh, eventuates that will always eventuate in the like you know big ball of mud that is, like, so decried in the, like, Moron Labs blog post. And so, like, this is, like, and so, like, Urbit, like, needs to happen in all of those, like, timelines because, like, without it, the, like, the technology, like, the inability to control, like, the computation, it just, like, it turns the civilization inside out. Jesse, are you just to give some context on some of the references there? Um, are you are you familiar with the idea of like the basilisk, like Rocco's basilisk? Yeah, a little bit. But why don't you uh, go ahead and give it? I personally am familiar with everything, 
So, but our listeners are idiots. It was the idea that it was done by, I think, a guy like Rocco Miech, who now, like, hilariously has, like, a second life on Twitter as kind of a mediocre, like, crypto trader commentator. But he had this, like, really sort of, um, he basically invented, like, geek hell, which was basically this idea that, like, you should be, like, working to instantiate uh, AI right now, because if you don't, when, like, the AI, like, you know, realizes, it will torture you for all eternity. Oh, um, yes, yes. So I think, I hadn't thought of, like, the Urbit Basilisk, but I think the Urbit Basilisk is this idea that there's this, like, you know, you're gonna, like, all the cool people will, like, go up into, like, the nerd rapture in, like, you know, in their Urbits, and you'll be, like, left out of there in, like, you know, in the mud. Mud is nice. I can deal with some mud. I like it. Mm-hmm. We, we're, I mean, we're all little grimy boys who probably deserve mud more than anything else. Uh, well, thanks, uh, Liam, for that. And but before we go, I, uh, you know, I was, I was learning a little bit about you before we uh, got on, and I wanted to ask you about something that sort of piqued uh, my interest. And in you referenced with uh, some amph- amphetamines. You're uh, you're really into medical optimization. You're getting yourself hyped up all the way to, to perfect nirvana. Uh, what's going on there? How are, you, how are you doing it? What are you uh, putting in yourself these days? I mean, I mean, this is a trade secret, man. Like, uh, I should, <laughs> if you want these answers, like, you know, we can, we can book a consultation. I, you know, I got to slide like, into uh, your DMs. Um, no, I mean, like, I'm happy to disclose, like, the majority of it, but, like, uh, like the biggest, like, in terms of, like, you know, uh, fra- like, you know, uh, order of magnitude type improvements for me have been like you know, uh, you know stimulants and like you know heavy carnivore at like you know four to five thousand calories a day so which usually looks like 18 raw eggs like a pint of cream um and like a kilogram of steak that's like an average average day of food and like yeah just like the combination of that and there's like stimulants just whoosh, you can just you can just slide that's through the incredible do you exercise a shit ton, or is it just you're so hyped up that you just you you shed it all away? Oh, uh, just you shed it all away. Like my my uh, resting heart rate, like sitting at the computer is like one sixty, man. Like it's like it's a cardiac workout. Wait, you're serious? So you're like you're programming like all day with like a one sixty like resting heart rate? I mean, one sixty is like is a bit like hyper like but like it's it's definitely in like aerobic stress zone. Yeah. Whoa. What about all these people who are, you know, talking about like s- severe calorie restriction and, uh, you know, intermittent fasting? That's all that's all for losers who haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, it's for like, okay, it's like, why would you want to like restrict the amount of energy you have? Like, there's so much energy, you just eat it. It's so easy to have lots of fucking energy. <laughs> and these people are like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, why? Why the fuck not? Like, what, what is wrong with you? Like, you're constitutionally incapable of being fucking happy. I think that's that's probably right. You, uh, I imagine you're happier eating uh, eating all your eggs and meat than than someone else. Do you do you oh. think you're gonna die sooner? Are you on death's door? Uh, I like to think I'm not, but like, who knows? But like, I mean, it's also I'm like fucking 22, so like the whole like dying early is like you know that's a problem for like 30 year old me. It's not that's not a problem for current me. Yeah, I wonder if I uh, missed the boat on my amphetamine raw steak time. I should have I should have been on it earlier. Now it, yeah. it could just accelerate me right into the grave. But that's also a sort of fine outcome in its own way, as long as I'm like really riding the high. Yeah, I mean it's like I wouldn't trade it for anything, man. Like the fucking like, 
the quality of life improvement, just like, I just get up every day, I'm so fucking gassed to work, I'm like, oh, it's fucking sick. Like, <laughs> you heard it here. Okay, I, I wouldn't say uh, that first, people, Urbit is fucking sick. It is the lifestyle you want to lead in the 21st century. Urbit is the the mental amphetamine that'll get you going and, and make it so you can crush raw steak without a, a single problem. But the real mental amphetamine was, was the, was the amphetamines. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that, and of course, friendship. So, uh, on, on that note, Liam, thank you so much for, uh, being here on web zero and, and chatting Urbit, chatting amphetamines, chatting the basilisk, uh, and, uh, Enjoy uh, being an idiot in Mexico. Oh, I absolutely will, man. All right. Great having you. Great. Thanks, guys.